Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that's different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Success Leaves Clues podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We are also brought to you by Aria Benefits. We help business leaders attract and retain top talent. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host, Al McDonald. Al, the snow is coming. What are you doing this weekend? The snow is coming, and luckily, I don't have to go anywhere this weekend because I've been remiss in not getting my winter tires on yet. Next week, they're due on, so I'm lucky that I don't have to go very far this weekend. Al and I were uh, driving into Toronto earlier this week, and Toronto got a bit more snow than out on the outskirts, and I was certainly happy that those uh, winter tires on. And unfortunately, I didn't have my winter shoes on, and uh, the slush was a little bit of a surprise for me, so that was not fun. Our guest isn't worried about winter right now. (laughs) Yes, as he's sitting here uh, making me a little bit jealous with a palm tree in the background. So I'm very excited to talk to today's guest because... Our first call was really, really interesting, and I'm glad I was able to convince them to come on the podcast to talk to us further. So no further ado, joining us today is Sari Abdo, who is the co-founder and CEO of Hunger Hub, an enterprise solutions company that provides the technology that connects workplaces to local restaurants and the logistics to deliver daily meals to their clients' offices. I like this idea a lot. Hunger Cub is a little over five years old. Sorry and Hunger Hub are based out of Toronto, but operating has been expanding to cover major Canadian cities such as Vancouver and Calgary and with plans to be soon Canada-wide. Beyond Sari's interest in working in food tech, he has focused on sustainability, the future of work and the workplace of the future. And he's passionate about bringing technology and products to make the future better for both employers and their employees. I think this is why we're so aligned. Sorry. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Excited about today. So this is a new word for me when I first met you, the food tech industry. Like, how does a person find their way into the food tech industry? I mean, maybe we could start at the beginning. You could tell us a little bit about your career journey and how you ended up here. Sure. I was always interested in technology, <laughs> and apart from food technology, uh, when I first, uh, my interest in technology started before I even knew food tech existed, and probably when food tech wasn't even in existence. My interest in technology started when I went to the University of Toronto for computer science. I thought my trajectory was going to be as a software engineer or software developer. Then while at university, my interests uh, were effectively proved to be much more prominent in, in other, uh, other courses than my core courses. So I found myself looking and being passionate about things like statistics, economics, and sociology, and even drawn closer towards more humanities courses. And I particularly fell in love with behavioral economics uh, more than anything else. And at that time, it wasn't even a designated degree. So I like to think that I carved myself out a makeshift degree based on the courses that I took uh, by the time I graduated university. So I moved away from the applicable technology as development. And what I soon realized after I graduated was that there was no direct and applicable work for me or with what I studied at the time. Maybe I should have stuck to software engineering and found a job much easier. So I found myself working in a string of odd jobs until I started in marketing with a startup company at the time that was rapidly growing. 
and uh, I had no professional training in, in marketing. So I learned on, on the job and uh, I found my role gaining in prominence with, uh, with the company there. Eventually, I moved away from the startup world and I worked in management consulting. Coming from a startup to one of the largest firms in the world, with nearly half a million employees at the time, and I think they've surpassed that number by now, I was very happy and challenged, and I loved the variety of work, extensive teams, and, and learned so much from very brilliant people. But I always felt a little itch to start something from scratch. So when it comes to Hunger Hub and food tech, uh, really the idea came out of a deficiency that I saw in the marketplace, something I found missing in the market and a niche that I wanted to follow. Basically, I was having lunch at work during my break one day, and I wanted a better solution. My options were basically the salad restaurant that I've been going to every day for the last five days, or I would cross the street, walk in the path, and walk for 10 minutes aimlessly, and then end up at the same salad place. So I thought there must be a better place or a better way to bring food to people at work, make it a little bit more accessible, and technology would definitely have to play a big part of that. Canada was primed for food delivery at that time. We were still early on in the stages of food delivery, but so many factors made Canada really ripe for that, from the weather to the restaurants, affordability of food at the time, at least, and things like that. So we were ready for food delivery to explode here in Canada. And now I can say I was right. Uh, you see how ubiquitous now delivery and food tech is in Canada. But there was yet another layer and niche in the industry that I wanted to focus on, and that was food at work, not food for homes, not food at restaurants, but just the food at work part. When you're chatting about how the idea came about, you know, you're sitting there and you're having the same meal, the same salad that you've been having. It reminds me, I have a buddy who's a partner at one of the big law firms in Toronto. And I remember pre-pandemic, at least three years that I was talking to him, he was having the same rice bowl every single day. And I didn't know it was whether because he really liked it or as you said, that was the only option. But it's interesting in the conversations that I'm having now, especially in the tech space, where people pre-pandemic had all these great offices and it was a fun place to be. And now a lot of business leaders are struggling. Like, how do we get people back to work? And to me, I mean, I think this episode will resonate because if if that's me and I'm getting great meals delivered and healthy meals to the office, uh, that's going to be an incentive to me. So I think as you've seen, you're onto something here. Yeah, I, I think so too. I've been seeing more and more, I'll tell you this, before food at work was seen more as a transactional or more in an operational thing, more and more about meetings and not about the work culture, work-life balance, employee experience. And the clients that I'm seeing adopting this now are not the typical clients that we had when we first started off. When we first started off, it was a technology companies, even US-based technology companies, they feed their employees in San Francisco and in the Valley, and they want to basically transform or transport that idea into Toronto. And those were the companies we were talking to. And now with the return to work and with, with the changes that have happened, it's becoming more about integrating that and as a perk. So now we're talking to banks, insurance companies, financial services, professional services, construction, film and TV, healthcare. So basically now it's moved from it's just for a niche industry to this is something that anybody can bring in to improve the experience for their employees and their workforce. Well, I love that we're talking about food. I'm getting hungry already. I did want to ask you a little bit because, well, one, we've all been there with wandering around and figuring out what to have for lunch. But I did want to talk about or ask you about your ideas because you talked about being in the UOT, changing what your core courses were, and then becoming more interested in some of those elective courses and, and how that turned out. And also, obviously, just the idea of starting this food company, which is a little bit out of the box. So how do you come up with your new ideas or goals? And, and maybe talk a little bit specifically about how you came up with this idea for this company. 
I think coming up with new ideas or goals, honestly, now I learned and it comes from listening. I think most innovative ideas are reactionary. Obviously, there are exceptions to this rule. There are some ideas that are so innovative and revolutionary, like if you think the iPhone comes to mind, right? It was more of a collision of technological advancement and innovation all at the same time. And that was completely out of the box, revolutionary innovation. Nobody was thinking what's missing is a phone that is smart and can do X, Y, Z. And at this point is basically managing our entire lives, right? So that stemmed from pure innovation and the right time with technology was ready for it. And it created something completely new. I myself know, I'm not, I'm not kidding anyone. I know I'll never innovate the next iPhone. So I don't try to find lightning in a bottle. So I basically listen and I try to see what needs are in the marketplace today. And what are the possibilities for tomorrow? I look for problems and I'm always looking for problems so that I can focus on how do I generate a new idea that solves a problem or a pain point for somebody? And where can technology come in and make a problem just a little bit more easy to address for anyone out there? So what we do with Hunger, for example, in connecting workplaces to local restaurants, providing them with virtual food courts. I mentioned before, it's basically from sitting and in the office and thinking, crap, I'm going downstairs to do the exact same salad every day. Should I break the mold and just try and figure something else? And that's where it originally stemmed from. So at that time, I was listening to myself. And uh, today, um, I'm lucky to be surrounded with brilliant people, the people that I work with, my co-founder, our employees, great advisors. I, so I listen to those people. I listen to my employees. I listen to our partners. I really listen to our customers. And then I listen for the inefficiencies and find missing pieces that innovation can bring solutions to. So can you talk a little bit about that in terms of, because you've got this great idea, you've got this great platform, you're rolling it out to different companies, but I know that you've also got some ideas on what the future of your company looks like and some of the things that you're doing to innovate. And can you talk about some of that and some of the sustainability efforts that you're looking at in your company? Sure, yeah. I think the most important thing that we're looking at is the future of work. And as I mentioned before, food at work was more transactional, was more of a logistics or operation. It was seen as a necessity sometimes. So we're really focused now on the future of work. That's where we're trying to innovate and where we're most excited about in the future. And now, obviously, the topic is top of mind for many, if not all organizations. In the last five years, I can tell you firsthand how many companies now have roles that are specific to people and culture workplace experience, you're seeing diversity and inclusion, talent development, and sustainability uh, initiatives, sustainability officers at, at these companies. And many of these roles did not exist five years ago when I was talking and pitching this idea, new idea to our clients. So I know the topic of future of work is becoming more ubiquitous and it's making way to organization. And that's one thing that we're most excited about. I think we've reached an irreversible change in employer-employee relationships and dynamics, the way people think of work, people look for and think about work-life balance. And I think it's headed in the right direction. I think people being happy at work is the ultimate measure of today's organizations and their success today. And I'm really excited about the future of work there. Would it be fair to say that the conversations you're having with some of the companies, some of the business that you're um, trying to get into, is it an easier conversation now than it was five years ago to convince them and to bring your product into their office? hundred percent. And I'll tell you, like this, our pandemic story is very, very relevant because our business was built on people ordering food and having it delivered to offices, right? So in mid-March 2020, we saw our revenue decline by 50% in one week. 
And then it reached absolute zero the following week with complete lockdowns. So I, I don't think I need to elaborate on how disconcerting that was. It was a time for introspection and it was time to make big bets. The notion of pivoting was always out there. Do we move out into a new thing or do we basically continue with what we've built? Uh, we knew we built the best in class and awesome product and basically doubled down on what we built and we pushed all of our chips to the middle of that table. Uh, we didn't really pivot. We utilized existing infrastructure with delivery that we had with logistics with our fleet of drivers to address at that time a huge market need for home delivery. So that was able to keep us surviving during the pandemic by a mild pivot. But we did make a big bet that people will eventually return to the office in some capacity. We knew downtown skyscrapers would not be empty forever. We knew that was not feasible for municipalities. Like it's just not going to work with empty skyscrapers. The consequences of that are, are really, really uh, dire. So we knew it was going to happen. We spent a lot of time with our operational downtime focused on product, rebuilding a huge part of our technology. We basically inadvertently built a solution for the post-pandemic world. What we offer is individualized catering, where every person gets what they want. They order it separately. I mean, it's for a large group, but we individualize it. It's based on each person ordering and getting what they order in a sealed bag. So back to what you were saying, is, is it easier now? 100% because consumer behavior has shifted towards that. People no longer want to sit around and scoop food out of a tray and huddle around each other. And that basically took two years of people basically wanting that separation. And so we inadvertently had built something that is now becoming more and more sellable. In fact, customers that we spoke to two years ago, three years ago, four years ago said, no, no, we don't want this. We like, we don't want individualization. Now they're coming back. I was like, is that still what you're doing? Like, Yes, that's what we've always been doing. So that's why it's becoming easier, easier, basically an easier sell for a, a lack of a better word. I mean, because of our alignment with the business, I've that topic of future of work since the beginning of shift to work from home and now the hybrid model. And now we see, because also with our platform, it allows to order the day off. So a hybrid model and that flexibility where you don't know if there's going to be 100 people or 80 people in the office. So it's becoming easier to sell because it's flexible towards the hybrid model where if there's 80 people or 81 people, you're getting 81 meals. If there's 96 people getting 96, you're never ordering 110 just in case everybody shows up. And that goes back to the sustainability piece because if you're only ordering 96 when 96 people are there, you're not throwing away 14 meals. You're not paying extra for 14 meals that nobody's going to have. So we are eliminating food waste while we're individualization and customization. Al, I don't know about you, but the longer this episode goes, the hungrier I'm, I'm, I'm getting. It's approaching lunchtime here in Toronto anyway. Welcome to my world where all I see is restaurant names coming in and restaurant menus coming in. And all I want to do is like, we have to try this. Like, to yeah, try that's this. a, that's a great ends. idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it never ends. Well, sorry, part of the reason I do this podcast, and it's purely for selfish reasons, I get to have these conversations and I get people like you on the show and I get to do a little bit of market research based on what I do for a living. And that's, that's in the employee benefits world. I was hoping I could kind of pick your brain on, you know, you're a company that has been around for about five years. When you're bringing people on, what do you look for in terms of the employees that you're bringing into the company and, and the type of people that you want to work with and hire? Could you maybe just give us a little bit of insight into that? Right. Yeah. I spoke a little bit about my career trajectory, but I left a little bit of a good chunk out of there. 
I worked a ton of odd jobs before finding my dream job. I worked at jobs that I didn't like, that I felt underutilized that. But I had to show up for work for the paycheck. So, for example, I worked in a telemarketing company. I worked selling newspaper subscriptions back when newspapers were physically <laughs> available and sent to homes. And I used to go to conferences and sell newspaper subscriptions. I worked door-to-door selling energy plans in the middle of winter. And I'm not shaming any type of work, nor do I think anybody should be ashamed of their work. But early in my career, I would basically go on dozens of interviews for what I considered my dream jobs. And I never landed those jobs. I felt it was unfair and I felt I had a lot to offer and obviously being overlooked. And even when I moved into the corporate world and eventually ended up landing these dream jobs with amazing companies, I oftentimes felt underutilized. I felt overlooked and I felt that I had just a little bit more to give. So when I look for employees and people to bring on, when I look for employees and coworkers on, on who I want to be working with, I look for people that have so much potential, but have not had the chance to realize that potential due to external circumstances, due to the employers that they've had, due to the roles that we're sitting in. So that's what I look for. And I look for bringing them in, working with them, honestly, giving them a lot of confidence and giving them a lot of leeway and building the environment where they have the opportunity and room to achieve that maximum potential. So that's usually what we're looking for. So if someone comes in, they don't necessarily have experience in the food tech industry, but you feel they've got all the the natural talents, you wouldn't hesitate just because they don't have that experience. 100%. That's great insight because we're building our team too. And and one of the questions that Al and I talk about is, do they have to have experience in the insurance sector? There's a company in, in our world, in my industry, that it, they grew over the last 15 years by specifically not targeting people with experience. They just wanted to get yeah. the right person in the right seat, and they've done exceptionally well. So that's really interesting to hear. And I can tell you that our retention rate has been extremely, extremely high, and we have had no people leave since March 2020 or March, or I guess, July 2020, we've been hiring around one person a month and our retention rate is is really high. And and we're really, one of the things that I'm really proud of is the team that I've built and the culture. I think that definitely speaks to exactly what you said, your culture, because that's a little bit of a rare thing not to be losing people over the last couple of years with everything that's going into the market. Another thing too, is I think even with the looking at the future of work and now a topic that I'm really immersing myself in and really wanting to learn more about and I help shape and have a say in, in that, I think productivity now becomes king in how people are working. I think flexibility is people see it as a right. People have seen working from home. Working from home doesn't necessarily mean full freedom. I think there's a little bit of unfairness with working from home. I've seen it firsthand where some people, when working from home, are working from small apartments in Toronto with their significant others, and they're both working next to each other. So that is not complete freedom. Just working from home on its own is a complete freedom. What we've done is you can work from anywhere. You can work from home if you have the space. If you don't, then we give everybody the chance to go either to our own office or a co-working space membership so that they can be more productive there. So I think that work from home is not the ultimate freedom or flexibility. I think ultimate freedom is allowing your employees to work where they feel the most productive. And with productivity, that's really our main measure of success. If, if you're doing the work, it doesn't matter where you are. And with that, we can afford flexibility. Today, Like as we mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm talking to you from an island of Madeira. It's a small tropical island that's a Portuguese island. It's, I think, some 400 kilometers 
off the coast of uh, West Africa, and I'm here for three weeks. One, yes, I'm escaping the snow back in Toronto. I actually came here after a web summit in Lisbon and thought maybe why not work somewhere else because we're affording that freedom for everyone and I should take advantage of it. But I'm also being productive and I'm in an environment that allows me to do my work, ignites creativity, reignites that passion and gives me opportunities to think outside the box. And I can tell you that there's many Hunger Hub uh, employees that are also working out of sunny locations as we speak. And that, that flexibility is there. And, and as long as productivity is, is there and the mission has been everybody's on target and, and sharing that mission, everybody's helping each other, then I think that's how companies are going to start measuring uh, going forward with the future of work. You just gave so many clues and I love the name and, and I will take credit for naming the podcast Success Leaves Clues, but sorry, this is exactly why I want to have people like yourself on because there are so many clues of other founders, of other companies that are you know struggling with how do we get people back to work? I think you've got a solution for that or some incentives there, but just what you talked about, the flexibility and in keeping people happy and productive and maybe at home in that small condo in Toronto working beside your spouse isn't the freedom that you want. So I'm glad you touched on that. But we've arrived at the point in the podcast where it's my favorite part. And Al, I'm so glad he came to me months ago and said, hey, I got this question and I think it's pretty good. Let me run it by you. And it's become Al's signature question. And it's my favorite part of the episode that we do. So with that, I'll turn it over to Al and curious to hear your answer. Perfect. All right. So there is a saying that goes, a society grows great when old persons plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. So can you talk about any of those proverbial trees that you might be planting? I've been trying to make a difference. I can't sit here and pretend that I'm making a big impact on the future of work or in the food tech industry. It's still, it's an infancy, uh, the work that I've done. But what I think is, yes, we're doing things in helping shape organizations here in Toronto and in Canada by providing a unique tool for organizations to build a toolkit to improve the workplace. So improving the workplace would be one of those. And I'd like to think future generations have better employee-employee relationship, think have a, a little bit of a different relationship towards work. I'd also like to think that that as a proverbial seed that we're planting eventually become a tree. Another thing that I'm personally very passionate about, and there's room within the food tech world and room within what we're working on and we're focusing more and more on is sustainability and that sustainability please. Over the years, we've proven how our solutions I mentioned earlier reduce the carbon footprint of organizations. One is by rather than if you think about 100 people ordering, if they're ordering from 100 different places with 100 different people showing up, that's a lot of carbon footprint and we minimize that by aggregating those and reducing that footprint. That was the first step that we've done. Now, another step that we've done was we have 350 restaurants on our platform. We banned plastic. This was way before the governments did so. We basically said, if you're on our platform, it can't be in plastic. It's going to have to be through biodegradable packaging. And then ultimately what we built with individualization and customization of each, uh, and I mentioned where if you have 96 people eating only 96 meals, that's huge in eliminating food waste. And if you think about eliminating 200 to 300 additional food waste per day, it's a huge number over five years that we've eliminated. And even when you think of a catering model or cafeteria model, you know, cafeterias always make extra food and extra food. And we feel like that's a big impact. And bringing back to metaphor of trees, significantly want to eliminate cutting down trees, uh, literally. So one of the next things that we're looking at is reducing and eventually eliminating single-use packaging. So looking at packaging rather than biodegradable or made from trees or made from bamboo, 
we're looking at building circular model utilizing reusable packaging so that our impact on sustainability is even more impactful where basically there's no packaging goes to waste there's no food goes to waste everything that's made is eaten and no packaging ends up in landfill so that's a huge undertaking it's becoming increasingly more important to us to be completely transparent everything we've done in the realm of sustainability has been a compromise on profit all of our sustainability efforts do not make us money but it's the right thing to do and that's where we want to take the company in that direction well that's a great message you're putting a lot of good into the world and this is why from that first phone call that we had i was really happy you agreed to come on the show so thanks so much for joining us today sorry and sharing your story and your journey what's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at hunger hub they can definitely visit our website hungerhub.com h-u-n-g-e-r-h-u-b.com and i'll just put my email out there s-a-r-i so my first name at hungerhub.com happy to start conversations around food food tech future of work working remotely or anything else for that matter all right awesome well that does it for today's episode i really enjoyed this conversation as always i hope you did too if you have any questions for al or myself please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on linkedin success leaves clues my friends Mm -hmm.